You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Hello and welcome to the Path of Love. I am Marcus Noel and we're speaking with David Youngren about his book, Awakening to I Am Love. We finally made it to chapter 14. It's the last chapter of the book and it's entitled A Better World. Let's talk with David. Hi, David. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm I'm doing good too. Thank you. <laughs> so, chapter 14. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, no, but I am. It's always good. Life is is a blessing. We we've had this discussion. I think we have this every week, but uh you know, life is just really really wonderful. Although there are ups and downs at the times when 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 we're going through stuff and but at the very core, the more we are aware of this incredible love within us, uh, it cannot be but a joyful, happy, and uh, fulfilled life that we live. Yeah, exactly. Life has its ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride. And you determine the type of car you're going to ride in on that roller coaster. Either an old squeaky bumped up roller coaster is going to jerk you around all over the place or a smooth like car ride where you're going to stay steady and, 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 and the person that you are. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting, uh, analogy. what's the word analogy? Yes. <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk about chapter 14. It's the final chapter in the book, Awakening to I Am Love, uh, and it's called A Better World. You start out by saying awakening to our true selves gives us confidence in the inherent power of love. We can once again imagine the world where no one goes hungry and everyone has means to provide for themselves and their families. It it sounds like a a perfect place. Can you go on to elaborate on that? Well, I, I wanted to first of all lay out the vision again that really what happens the more we awaken to our truest and deepest self and when i say that to christ-centric consciousness that we have discussed where we talked where we talked about this presence this awareness pure uh, unconditioned consciousness that permeates with love peace and grace well what happens the more we awaken to that obviously then we gain a new vision for the world. What seemed impossible in the past now actually seems quite possible. And we can again imagine a world, as you pointed out, where where we see people who no longer have to beg on the streets and where people have what they need and where there is uh, justice and equality for everyone, wherever life has dignity and value. And, you know, even things like the environment and, political liberty and the end to discrimination and racism and persecution and, you know, protection against crime and violence and, you know, affordable and nutritious food and healthcare and, uh, you know, all of those things that many of us take for granted, but there are so many people who are not, who do not have the means and the opportunities that we have. But I think the more we awaken, because when you awaken to this infinite love this sense of oneness with god you begin to see it in everyone and therefore you now 
see yourself in others, and that leads itself to a new earth and a better world. You go into talking about three basic core principles, you know, to create a better world or that will improve life or, as you use, magnificent planet. Um, So one of those subcategories is live with purpose. Something about why am I here and what's the real meaning of life? Can you go into that a little bit more? What I was trying to, of course, we started with this vision and then I kind of threw up a through in a challenge or the challenge that we are facing because people say, well, yeah, that's a great dream. That's a great vision. That's that's a great idea and concept, utopic and all of that. But it can never really happen. And so we we talk about that. And of course, when you look at the the large scale conflicts in the world, when you see all the shootings and murder and discrimination, you know, poverty, all of that corruption, you know, the climate change and all of these different things. And it's like, oh yeah, that's never gonna happen. That's, that is never gonna become a reality. You're just giving us a utopia kind of dream. But what I'm was trying to communicate, I laid out three basic core principles that I believe will be the essence or the foundation for seeing this new earth, a a better world. And the first step is live with purpose. And when I say live with purpose, because as, as you pointed out, everyone wants to live with purpose. Everyone, you know, we ask ourselves, why am I here? What's the meaning of life? And here is a challenge for most people that they immediately assume that what they do is their purpose. But doing is a function and that will vary from person to person, but it also varies throughout our life. For example, when we were children, we had a different role. We had a different thing to do. Uh, You know, our careers change. And so that is not the primary purpose of life. Instead, our primary purpose of life is really what the essence of this book is about. And that is to awaken to our true self, to awaken to our oneness with God, to awaken to this Christ-centered consciousness. And that is the same for every person. So all of us have that purpose. That is all of our purpose to awaken to the presence of God within us. And when that, that, that makes everything so simple. Um, and what that means is that you live in the present. You're conscious of the divine presence resting in all things. And that then guides what you do because you're aware of, of this divine presence that you now, whatever you learn is now, as I, as I say, wisdom is knowledge deepened by love. Now you will have wisdom to use the knowledge, everything you've gained, because you are conscious of your, of your union with God. And out of that union with God now flows all that you do. In other words, and here is really what I'm saying, you don't start and the purpose is never something you do. It is not about doing, but it's about being. Once you awaken to who you are at the very core, that is your real purpose. And for most people, that might take a lifetime. And many people, most people probably will never even awaken to it. But that is the ultimate 
uh, goal and purpose for each and every one of us that we would awaken to our true self, our union with God, our union with one another. And then whatever we do, then we, you know, we walk in that mindfulness of oneness uh, with the source of life. And then we bring that in awareness into every moment of our doing. So in other words, you are now aware, you have this sense of awareness of this divine union that you have with God. And now you bring it into every moment. So even this moment and throughout uh, your day, you bring it into every moment of your life. In other words, you always remain present. You're always aware of the presence. And now you bring that to whatever you're doing. Yeah, you stated when you're aware of Christ in you and you see Christ in everything, identify with everything as Christ, the, the objective for your human uh, existence is revealed. So you start to see Christ or you start to see in everything that you uh, see Christ in everything that you do and everything that you are. Is that correct? Yeah, I want to make sure here that we're not talking about what we're referring to when we talk about Christ. And I think I have laid out that in the past. Mm -hmm. That's a union between matter and spirit, union between humanity and mm -hmm. God. And so it's people just say, oh, well, it's Jesus, you know, but Jesus was, of course, the Christ. But then we also see that Christ is all and in all. So there is a sense of the cosmic crisis. Some people talk about it. So, yes, that that is your purpose to awaken to Christ within you and within all things. In other words, your union with God. So you use this phrase a couple of times in this chapter. And as you use it in this chapter, you you use yet what you are doing is never a substitute for being is that what you were just describing is that it's not what you do but it's who you are well you know so many people are looking for a purpose and they're seeking meaning in life and especially if if you follow some of the maslow's hierarchy hierarchy of needs you see that he talks about that is uh, one of the part of the stages, one of the last stages, you start looking for your purpose in life. So most people then automatically assume that that purpose is something that you do. But what I'm suggesting here that your purpose is to awaken to who you are. And awakening to who you are is not because people say, well, I already know who I am. Well, you you have been conditioned to see yourself as something. But once you awaken to that deeper, the, your true self, you awaken to a, a, a reality that is beyond the mind, beyond the intellect, beyond the knowledge you have gained. And now you awaken to that sense of presence, that awareness. And it's so hard to explain because many people may never have experienced that. But I think people who, who have had at least a taste of it know what I'm referring to here. That you, you become aware of this presence that permeates with love. And that is ultimately your purpose in life. You also say, state, stepping outside of your office, of your home, um, in complete silence and notice without judgment, the, the intrinsic spirit of a flower, a tree, a bird, and other things. It's just being aware. Is that what you're stating? What I'm, yeah, what, what I'm suggesting is that 
Now, all of us, of course, people say, well, you know, your ultimate purpose in life is, is just to be conscious of, or be aware of, of this divine presence and being in the present moment. People say, yeah, but what, you know, I'm going to do something. Of course, I'm not suggesting that people don't do things and they're not going to have a career, that, whatever it is, it really doesn't make a difference. I'm just saying that's not your purpose in life. So what, what I was trying to communicate with that is that because you go out about your day and you're now maybe at work or maybe at home or maybe you're watching TV or, or maybe you're playing sports or whatever you're doing, and sometimes you can get so caught up in what you're doing that it kind of absorbs your thoughts and your minds, especially at the office, that you become, you're no longer aware of the presence within you. So what I'm suggesting is that it's good to take a, maybe a few times a day, if you're sitting in the office, go outside and just take in what you see. Maybe it's the flower. And notice the intrinsic spirit of a flower, a tree, a bird, or just another human being. Just become aware of them. And what you, the more you're aware, the more you have this inner sense of awareness where you move beyond your thoughts and you just have, you have an awareness that you're aware of this presence. You also become aware of the presence in them. And it really frees you in so many ways. It is it's so healing for you. It keeps you aware. It keeps you attached to your purpose. It also gives you wisdom. And I'll have to go into that a little bit later on, but it gives you wisdom even in your work so that your doing actually then comes from a place of rest, from a place of not like stress, hard work, but from an inner place of rest. It, it seems like it would energize you too throughout your day. And when I say energize you, it refreshes your mind, it refreshes your spirit, it refreshes your soul, it, it gives you a new empowerment uh, of your life. Yeah, it does. It, it gives you the peace, the comfort, the happiness, so that even when you are going through a lot of different things and you're challenged by it, you have that confidence. And, and what I think too, which I think is very fascinating, Marcus, that the more you become aware of this, it now also affects your relationships. So when I talk about how does this going to change the world, because I gave this utopian kind of vision and people say, well, ah, you know, what you, well, I don't know if I can believe that. But what I'm suggesting is that the more, the more of us, when the more of us begin to awaken to our deepest and truest self, then there is a transformation. There's a collective transformation taking place. And this is not like a mental belief thing where I'm going to share you my ideas and thoughts about what I believe and how the world works. No, it's, it's just an inward awareness beyond our thoughts that cannot be legislated, imposed, or even taught as a belief. But that in itself is very attractive. Your spirit that is one with God, this is one of, one of the things that I wrote in the book, your spirit that is one with God radiates love through your presence and through the words you use. When a person is ready to be awakened, your presence and words will then spark something within them that desires the freedom of finding the truth self within. So, uh, yeah, that, that's really what I'm trying to communicate. It's kind of like showing that when a person's ready to be awakened, you could be, if you are awakened yourself or you are spreading that, that, that feeling or that awareness, you're, you could be a helping catalyst to awaken 
others as well um, are set them on that journey to being awake. Absolutely. But it doesn't happen because you are preaching it to them. Yeah, it, it no, 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 no. It's just mm -hmm. that you are a reflection of it. So you're a mm -hmm. reflection of this divine life because you're aware of it. And now that impacts other people. It changes them. And that's really powerful. And I think one of the best examples, quite frankly, is Jesus. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting but that we all, most people associate Jesus with a religious founder, that he was some founder of some religion. Well, really, Jesus was not. If you study his life, you will notice that he was not. And for people who want to take the time to do that. And, you know, even what he spoke was not neatly packaged doctrinal statements or beliefs. But the words that he spoke, they contain energy and they mm -hmm. bypass the mind somehow. And they touch the spirit of the people listening or their consciousness of the people who were listening. And I think that that's the reason why they're so people were healed, the people's lives were changed because there was something about Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not have like, you know, sometimes we see now these people who charismatics who have these like healing kind of great meetings. Uh -huh. No, and that's not how Jesus operated. He was just walking on the streets and he was talking to people, he's communicating, but there must have been something about him that communicated this very essence of who he was. He had awakened to his truest and deeper self, his oneness with God. He was, the Father was in him. And now everything he spoke, everything he did, everything he said, awakened that dimension, even if it was just for a brief moment, in those people he met. And I believe that that was the key and that was the reason to their lives being transformed. You're absolutely right, Kate. Um, you then go on to talk about June 2006. Can you uh, tell everybody who <laughs> may not be um, have the book and read that page um, uh, about June 2006? Well, it's kind of a dissonant story. I had a dream. I was in Africa. And I had a dream and um, that I was trying to communicate to a well-known actress about my beliefs. You know, I was a pastor. I was someone who was traveled the world. I was speaking at large conferences. You know, I had like even when I was in Africa, that those particular meetings, I may have 12,000 people or so, I think, and, and those, th those meetings right there at that time. So this was in June. I think it was June 27, 2006. And so I was having these meetings. And so I had this dream in the, at night, of course, where I was trying to communicate all these different things that I knew. And I was trying to communicate it in a way that I thought was the best way. But as I spoke to this woman, uh, it, it, you know, it didn't register with her. She mm -hmm. it didn't like, it didn't matter. <laughs> You know, like, oh, yeah, you're telling me you're what you believe. Who cares? Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe that way, and I don't see the world that way. It To me, it was a meaningless discussion. I felt like I had all this wisdom, but it was so frustrating in the dream for me not to be able to communicate for her to get what I was talking about. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, she should just right now see what I'm talking about, be so filled with joy and happiness that she met me. You know, <laughs> But she wasn't. So in the dream... There suddenly appeared, we were sitting at a table and she was sitting diagonally across from me. And at the, in the dream, a child appeared, a black silhouette of a child. 
And I stood up and put my arms around that child and just loved that child like I would do my own kids. You know, I just like put my hands on their shoulders and, you know, I'm a fairly tall person. So I could see that in my dream. I'm putting my arms around that person just like I do my own kids. And it was just some natural instinct that, you know, in the dream it wasn't like I thought I'm going to do this or no, it was just like I did it. And immediately something happened in my conversation with this woman. There was like a, where that, where she had before been like in a, in a different place, we couldn't communicate. Suddenly we were able to communicate and talk to one another and laugh and smile. And there was this incredible joy and peace and respect and dignity and, and all of those things. And of course, then I woke up and what I learned from that was as someone who had come out of this Christian world where it's so important to evangelize, to reach people, to tell them what you believe, to get them to agree with how you see the world. What I realized was that the true essence of religion, true religion, is to help people awaken to that dimension within them that permeates with love and peace. And everything else is just man-made ideology that often is rooted in the ego. In fact, almost always is rooted in the ego. Well, I know you don't mention the, the actress in there in your dream, but, you know, as you're reading a book, you imagine, you know, certain people and certain things. My imagination is Angelina Jolie, but I mean, just being said, that's that's the person that <laughs> pops in my head when when you talk. But listen, about I don't know if that says something about you <laughs> rather than about the book, but yeah. I can tell you this: that it was not her. It was not her. So I hate to disappoint you there. <laughs> All right, well, I better start thinking about other actresses. <laughs> Great conversation. Maybe we'll have conversation. to edit that part out. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, she's a great person to talk to, and she's kind of on the on the side of, you know, loving to have communication. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I agree with you completely there. But that wasn't the person. <laughs> you also you stated in the path forward of humanity, it's not through converting others to an intellectual belief system. You just stated before that it's finding that common love within them that allows them to be able to awaken to that love and express themselves to you um, on the same level or in that same realm and zone that you, you are in. Yeah, you know, when the awareness of this divine presence in you, then you also begin to experience that in others. You see it in yourself and you see it in others. And that brings hope to the world. That brings friendships, that deepens friendships, that deepen our love for other people. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, ultimately it will lead to less conflict. And that's the beauty of it. And that's why I say that that is a true purpose to awaken. It's not what we do. Doing is important. And that's your mission, perhaps. You can call it a mission. That's your role. That's your function. But your purpose in life is to awaken to this divine presence. And everything now flows out of that state of being. 
Well, let's move into finding your mission. You talk about finding your mission and some, while everyone doesn't share the same purpose, all of us have unique functions. Um, so how do people find that mission and stay true uh, to themselves? Perhaps I can preface this by suggesting why it's important that we first awaken, that we find our purpose by awakening. Because if we don't awaken, everything that we do stems from the egoic mind. A, you know, when before we awaken to our true self, our pursuits are generally rooted in the ego. You can see this. You people say, well, I, I don't know about that in me. But you th think about it. Even as children, we're encouraged to, to have dreams about what we want to do and what kind of career and lifestyle we want. But here is a challenge. Often expectations are placed upon us. For example, a parent or somebody may project onto us an image of what they want us to do. It could be a clergy, it could be a teacher, or, you know, they, they project an image of what they want us to do. And, the, and then the fear of the ego then in, in them may actually try to mold us into doing what they would have liked to do, always would have liked to become. So as a parent, we have to be incredibly careful that we don't project our own wishes onto our kids because we didn't uh, succeed in those areas. For example, we want them to be, you know, famous basketball player because we we were not, you know, and and that can be very dangerous because that is can lead to a lot of frustration in the person's life. Or we can, or sometimes people pursue a career because they get the accolades, they get the honor, they get their acceptance it meets their egoic needs the egoic mind craves acceptance love security and so you start looking for careers that's going to give you that or for many people it's just that you're is a way to survive survive or support your life but what i'm saying what i'm trying to uh, present here is that when you truly awaken to yourself your natural role or function will emerge from within you. In other words, you think about it this way. If we, if we truly believe that God is in all things mm -hmm. and that our spirit, if we truly believe that, um, that we're one with God, then we have access to the infinite wisdom of the universe. And the universe knows what each and every one of us should do with our gifts and abilities. It also knows that when you do those things that emerges from within, you will always be content. There's be a sense of contentment. And not, you may not always have a great time, but, but overall, you will just know that you're in the right place, that you're supposed to do this at this particular time. But whatever it is, it doesn't really matter what it is. And, and I think that that's important to establish when we talk about the role and function that each of us may have. It's kind of like a person saying, <clears throat> if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. Um, I mean, and even in, it doesn't have, like you're saying, it doesn't have to, 
relate to a job. It can relate to uh, being a conversational person with with people or interact with people or um, the kindness, that gift of kindness that you have and you're able to be able to um, relate with others, um, things along those lines. Is that what you're speaking of? Obviously, your career, what you do are all important. But what I'm trying to suggest is that what is important is that your purpose, remember that your purpose, mm-hmm. your purpose is to awaken, to be aware of the divine presence within you, that your purpose shines through your function, shines through your role, mm-hmm. shines through your career or whatever you do through you, you as a father, as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a grandparent, um, as a friend, that that is what's really important. So really what you do is not as important as allowing that to shine through whatever it is that you do. So that when you meet people, when you encounter people, when you're working with people, it's that love that connection that shines through. Can you imagine the trust that is built between people? Can you imagine when you're selling something and you actually uh, have that sense of genuine care for the other person? And it's not just to make money, to try to get as much money from them as possible. Mm -hmm. As one of my friends say uh, jokingly, my job is to get as much money out from you without getting arrested. And, and I say, that's not a very, very good way to live. You know what I mean? That's not really what it's about. It's about allowing love. And, and, I, and I personally think that the more you allow this sense of love, sense of peace, to guide you in helping people, it's the most profitable thing you can do in the long run. Because if you're really helping people, there's always a benefit, you know? And mm-hmm. and I think that that's really what I'm trying to suggest here. And you spoke about that in your own self when writing this book, you talked about your purpose in that. Yeah, what I'm trying to suggest is this, that often we associate our purpose with the end goal. Now, so I I use this as an example. When I'm writing the book, obviously the end goal is that people are going to read the book. It's going to be published and people are going to read the book, right? That's Mm -hmm. the end goal. But when I'm writing, I am not focused on the end goal. I'm focused on that present moment, every word that I write. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not even thinking about the past. I'm allowing myself to be a vessel of love to others. So every word that I write, I'm always present. I'm always aware. And that awareness is what leads to the next moment. So one moment leads to the next moment. And every moment, I'm aware of that moment. And in that moment, I'm always aware of presence. So I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about what this is going to get me and what's going to happen. Because I don't know. You know, that's not really that important. Of course, once I finish writing the book, well, then I can focus on how do I share this? But even right now, I'm with you here, and I'm talking about this book in the last chapter 14. That, that's really what I'm focused on. I'm, not, I'm just here at this moment. I'm not thinking about tomorrow or some other day or an hour. I'm just focused on this very moment. And for me, 
this very moment is always to allow this awareness of this presence to shine through my words so that the people who are ready for them, it will energize them. It will charge them up. It will cause them to uh, seek within for that same awareness to go deeper inside and find within them this presence of God that is ultimately the key to joy, peace, love, happiness, and all those things. And it's not what you do again, and I'm repeating that because you repeated it again in here. It's what you do then is never as important as who you are because your doing follows your being. It's pretty much repeating what you said is what you do is not who you are. Let me ask this question. When you're actually, when you're in a place of awareness and you're attuned to uh, the infinite wisdom of God, which gives you the, you know, you say the grace to do more than you ever thought possible. um, How does your mind and your awareness coexist in that that realm well what i'm trying to suggest is that your mind when will be remodeled by your awakened consciousness and when that happens you're no longer restricted by the nagging voice of the ego or the nagging voice of fear the ego's unconscious storyline of i'm not enough which then limits our potential you think about that, and I think this is really from the beginning. Fear always makes us insecure about whether we are not enough or not. But when you truly awaken, then you awaken to this realization of love, and that breaks the limitation that fear has produced in your mind. So if you think of love casts out all fear, that fear is the cause of the limitations in your mind. And now, once you're really aware of love, your limitations that the mind has produced, uh, they are also gone. So even science is confirming this. You know, it's interesting, I read this and that science is discovering that the brain is inherently wired for love and that the egoic mindset puts your mind out of sync with your wired for love design and thus damaging both your brain and body. This interesting quote that I included in the book, New Science, suggests that few of us know our true limits and adds the vast majority of us have not even come close to tapping what scientists call our unactualized potential. Why is that? Because as long as we're trapped with this egoic mindset, we always feel inadequate. We feel like we don't have the potential. But the more we are awakened to this Christ-centric consciousness, where you begin to see Christ in all, then you now are attuned to the wisdom of the universe, and now there are no more limits. Does that make sense? It does. So your brain's default setting is actually to be attuned to love, and fear damages your brain. So I think I put here, and I think this is a fairly accurate quote. So if your brain's default setting is to be attuned to love and fear damages your brain, the obvious conclusion is that being awakened to your true self boosts your emotional well-being and intelligence and enhances your ability to innovate. And that's really what I was trying to uh, communicate there. 
So basically our minds and people throughout their life don't even tap into a portion of what they're capable of due to fear disrupting their mind. Due to the restrictions of the egoic mind and due to fear, as you said, it will damage your brain. It will slow your brain down. It will limit your intelligence. It will limit the possibilities that are open up to you. Well, I know personally in my life, I have been afraid to take steps out or step out on, on doing things in life that I, everyone else tells me I can do, or, you know, you can take this, you know, you can go there, you can do that. And those types of things because of fear and because you're afraid of not knowing if you're going to be successful or not knowing of that. And yeah, I've seen damage in my life just by, by not, by feeding into the fear that has taken over my mind in certain things. And you know, the beautiful thing is because you raised a very interesting point that when fear limits us, it then it prevents us from acting. It prevents us from taking action. It prevents us from doing stuff. But here's the amazing thing. I mean, you can step out and still fail. Mm-hmm. Just because you're attuned doesn't mean you're never going to have any problems. Never doesn't mean you're never going to have any storms around you. It just means that they won't affect you. They won't affect you and they won't damage your sense of self because your sense of self is not attached to what you do. Your sense of self is attached to that infinite presence within you that permeates with love. So there's a sense of graciousness, kindness, and peace. So even when things don't work out, it's okay. And I I often thought about there's some of the things that I do and I, I go back to what my life used to be like and and how I've seen so much changes in in the last number of years and things that I do, even financially, I find that I'm not stressed if something happens in one day that is negative. I always think, no, it's okay. It's okay. Next day will be good. And and so it's very helpful to live this way. It seems like it gives you a peace and a peace that you probably don't understand in an egoic mind why you would have that peace just looking on the outside in, but um, it gives you a peace that is, that is, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's true. There's a sense of rest and peace. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You move on to talk about, um, serving the underprivileged and you have love's wisdom is uniquely different um i know i and weakness is actually a strength because it makes us come uh, to the end of the ego and accept unconditional love you talk about weakness being a strength i know you said that in the chapter 13 as well but can you elaborate more on on that because weakness is when you truly come to a place where you accept grace and this is really what the story of jesus is so compelling to us 
that Jesus was utterly vulnerable on that cross. I mean, the anguish and the despair he must have felt. Yet we see Jesus' true strength is in this adversity. And what we notice is that at the end, love wins and weakness becomes a strength. And that's really the story of, of Jesus. And so what I'm suggesting here is that weakness, we always seem to kind of avoid that. We're afraid of weakness, but really it's a strength. And that's, that's when we fail, when we do things wrong, when things don't go our way, it's an opportunity. Don't ever see it as something that is a negative. See it as an opportunity. There, this is a stepping stone to something else. So whatever it is you're going through, maybe you lose your job. Maybe you get divorced. Maybe you're in an accident. It's so easy to get discouraged by the things that happen. But any kind of setback is an opportunity. Opportunity to awaken within to your true purpose. And that's really what I'm trying to communicate here. But then what I'm saying, I guess I'm going a little bit further with that whole thought, that it also holds truths for us for collectively. And that I find that people who are most open to this kind of a transformation are people who are in a place of vulnerability, in a place of weakness. So you almost see that that even during Jesus' life, you know, there were some very religious people back in the day. And they, I mean, they were really religious. They were morally upright. You know, they knew how to quote uh, their biblical texts. But Jesus uh, was very harsh toward them because they knew it all. They trusted their egoic mind. And instead, he was this incredibly merciful and compassionate and forgiving toward, for example, the adulterous woman, toward the tax collector who had cheated everybody on their taxes. You can imagine how what we would feel about them today. <laughs> uh, you know, who stole money for the personal gain. Uh, I mean, there will be an endless number of comments on Facebook yes. if yes. that happened today. <laughs> that... But Jesus was kind to them. And I always think that ultimately this kind of a life that we now are enjoying, this kind of life that we have received when we become aware, doesn't mean we become cheaters, doesn't mean that we become people who steal from others. That's not what I'm suggesting to you. But what I'm suggesting to you, it is at those low moments when we actually recognize what the mess we have created for ourselves, that those low moments can actually help us in coming to that point of awareness within where we're aware of this presence, this presence of God that is very healing and forgiving. And we, the more we awaken collectively, the more we extend that to others. And then you go into the more of a how Jesus reacted with the followers in the crowd and when children wanted to to uh, participate and they think it's just for adults. The vulnerability of children is is it's like very 
it's very high. And children just look at everything as fun. You're having a good time. There's no worries. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, And they just live life to the fullest and they enjoy their lives. And then you you talk about that in this uh, chapter as well, just a, a short paragraph on it. But you say that Jesus suggested there was um, that the defenseless are most receptive and unconditional love because they are less entrapped by the ego. And that's that's kind of the way children are, correct? Yeah, what I was trying to suggest, and of course, it's a different culture than it is today. Back in the day, children were kind of, you know. In the way. <laughs> in the way, exactly. So, of course, when Jesus was speaking, these children, they try to come up and talk to him. And, and of course, all his followers and leaders, and they try to stop them. And Jesus said, um, let the children come unto me. Unless you become like them, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. So why did Jesus say that? Of course, the kingdom of God is this presence within you, as we know. Why did Jesus say that? Because they were innocent. The children were innocent. They had no preconceived ideas of how to act and what to do. They were not driven by the ego. They just lived and enjoyed the moment. And so what I'm trying to suggest, and I think this is, I don't know if I'm making a, a good connection here, but that we are just like Jesus to be beacons of light of unconditional love to the most vulnerable among us, because they are the ones who are ready to receive. Mm -hmm. A person who's hyped in religiosity or in their sense of accomplishments and pride are not going to be open to this. They have it all figured out. But when the person is really needy, when the person is feeling weak, they are ready to receive unconditional love. So that's what I mean by this whole thing, that everything that we do ought to be to serve people like that, to serve the people who are in a place of vulnerability and weakness. And you go into speaking about one of the documentaries you were part of called Africa Sing Me a Song. And when you went to um, the African village and you were compassionate with uh, some uh, AIDS orphans in Africa. Can you explain about that? Well, I, I, I was trying to make the point that once I had this encounter with divine love in 2006, I also had this desire. It happened within a number of months I, I became more compassionate toward children who were in need. I remember being in Africa and hearing about how children with AIDS, how they were being raped. And that's how many of them got AIDS, by the way. Children were being raped. It was, it was just horrible, the stories that I heard. And I felt such compassion for these children. So we went to Africa and I said, I want to find out more. And we decided to... Uh, make this documentary called Africa Sing Me Your Song. I remember we're standing on the street corner one day. I was saying, where are the children? I want to see some of these children. Suddenly these two children came up. Maybe, I don't know if they were eight and six or something like that. Um, 
Jumana Runa, and they were covered in dust, they were bare feet, and they were begging for money. And they didn't, we asked them, do they go to school? Well, they said, no. And then we asked them, where do they live? So they took us to the place where they live. And it was just, uh, it was not a home. It was actually just a, a, like a foundation of a house that had no roof, that the walls were maybe like two feet high. And inside it was actually backing onto a bar. So people in the bar would actually throw the bottles into this area. So there was broken glass everywhere. And so there they walked into their place. They said, this is where we sleep. So they walked in and they said, this is where we sleep. And they walked their bare feet on this broken glass. And obviously they were, they seemed to be okay. So I didn't know what to do. We gave them some stuff. And then a few, mom- few months later, I decided to return. And we then said, we're going to help you out so that you never have to beg like this again. Mm-hmm. We built them a home. We um, built them a home. And now one of the kids, Juma, he's not going to university. Oh, and wow. He's now going into his third year of university and we have, we paid for his university education. Mm -hmm. And, but it's so wonderful to see. And, you know, he said to me that, and he, he writes me all the time. He calls me dad, you know, (laughs) uh, because I guess I've been like a father, not, not a very good one because I'm so far away, but, um, but he, you know, through Facebook, he communicates with me all the time. And so he tells me what's going on. He sent me his, just a few days ago, he sent me his report card for the last semester and, you know, how well he's doing. I'm thinking, yeah, you're doing really well. So he's taking business. And the whole purpose of it is, I said to him, you know, I want to help you because you're going to help others. I know that's who you are. And he says, yeah, that's why I want to do it. I want to help my family. I want to help the other kids in these homes because that's what life is about. And when we catch this, that we are love. And this is what I try to communicate with the book. I am love. I'm a conduit of love. And that means that I serve people. I serve those who are weak because that's who we are. We are where the world is. We heard the song many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And we are one. And when we care for one another, and we can care for everybody, but we find people that we can care for, that we can love, that we can care, take care of, and we can bless. It helps us. It strengthens us. It makes the world a better place. So <clears throat> through this book, and not just chapter 14, but through all 14 chapters, what would be some of the words are of encouragement or what you would like your listeners to get out of your listeners, your readers, the the people who have just found the book for the first time, or even people who have uh, maybe read some of your other books or maybe have been invited to this book, what would you like them to really get from 
reading Awakening to I Am Love? Well, I think that the main lesson, I wouldn't even call it the lesson perhaps, but what I would hope is that there was sense that there is hope for them. That when you awaken to your deepest and truest self, your oneness with God, it transforms not only yourself, but the way you perceive and treat others. As you begin to identify with humanity and others, the line between what is in here and what is out there becomes indistinct. You begin to realize that we are one, that there's this connection, there's this love, and ultimately that's who you are. You awaken to your truest and deeper self, I'm love, and you see it, it is not just in you, but it's in everyone. And that's really what I'm hoping that people would get out of this, that there will be some, they will see it as a, as, a, as a guide to help them get to that point when they are awakened. Awakened and to the realization that I am love. So Marcus, I say to you, you are love. That's your true identity. And the more you're aware of that, the more your world will be transformed and more, the more the world around you will be transformed. And that goes for all of us. Well, I, I, I don't really know what more to say. <laughs> I know you cut that out, but <laughs> I mean, I, <clears throat> I would like to just say thank you, David, for uh, writing Awakening to I Am Love and sharing it with the world and giving them an opportunity to be a part of this journey with you through uh, the podcast and also through a reading of this book in all four parts. Um, because through this journey, it's been an eye-opening discovery for, or the journey to awaken to a, a new you um, and a new a new me, and 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 in a new me, understanding and realizing that it has bettered my life and the way that I see and interact with others. And I know it's not a finished journey. And as, as a journey is, it's something that continues. So that being said, I look forward to continuing down the path of awakening to I am love. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> Thank you for spending the time here with me and asking these questions. It's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. We've been meeting once a week. And so I want to also thank all the people who have listened to us over these last 14 episodes. Yeah, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Yes, I look forward to the next time. And I thank you very much again for sharing your, um, your journey with everyone. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.